Thank you, Ben. Good morning, everybody. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. I was just thinking, um, going back to my youth, how, how many preachers I have seen come to the pulpit. And from my tradition and my background, uh, usually it was done on this fashion. They would come very quickly and they would say, praise the Lord, everybody. And the people would say, praise the Lord. And then he'd say, praise the Lord, everybody. And then they would get with it a little bit more. Would that work in a vineyard? Praise the Lord, everybody. Praise the Lord, everybody. Praise the Lord. Oh, that made me feel good. <laughs> Brian called me early this morning and said, Dad, I hate to be so late, but I'm so devastated. Could you, could you preach this morning? I can't even get out of bed. <laughs> no, it wasn't, it wasn't that bad. Brian's a new Lex today, preaching there. And I don't know that I could come near the commentary that he would have about, um, about the, what, what did we say, the fiasco yesterday? Um, I'll tell you what, folks, really, I want you to know, I did not raise him that way. <laughs> he wasn't like that till he hooked up with Michelle. <laughs> <laughs> I always try to keep in mind, nobody wants to win more than the coaches. Nobody wants to win more than the players. They have more at stake than all of us. So, you know, it's disappointing, but let's don't get all bent out of shape, right? Okay. It's just a game of life and death. (laughs) Well, Thanksgiving week, it's a wonderful, wonderful time of the year. Somehow it, it uh, came to my mind again. Don and I were on vacation a few years ago during my birthday time. <clears throat> and um, we've gotten to the point, you know, we have most of our needs. There's really, you know, I say, what do you want? She never wants me to buy her clothes and she has one kind of perfume she wants, and I usually get that. And there's just not much to get each other anymore. So we've kind of, kind of uh, resigned to usually slipping something in an envelope, you know, some money or something. Happy birthday! So I was. Um, it was my birthday, and we were we were out of state, and um, she had a birthday card for me, and I opened the card. And was somewhat hmm, disappointed. There was, there was nothing in it. <laughs> Just happy birthday, love Donna or something, you know. And I said, hmm, I said, want anything in, in my birthday card? She said, I couldn't find your billfold. <laughs> <laughs> oh my. <laughs> What a girl. <laughs> well, folks, one thing, one thing for sure this morning, you're not going to hear a sermon on sex. <laughs> for those of you that may be visitors, Brian has been, um, I'm probably all right, John, I don't know, it just kind of flops around a little bit. 
Uh, <laughs> Brian has been uh, teaching a series on um, love, sex, and God. And it's been a very good series. In fact, I'm, I'm very surprised he knew as much about the subject as he did. <laughs> Especially since he's still trying to figure out how in the world he ever got here. Okay. <laughs> My next gig is a stand-up comedian, okay? <laughs> I want to speak this morning on the subject, Thanksgiving, Thanks Living. And the main theme that I want you to take away from, from this message today is this. The way I live my life is largely determined by the degree of thankfulness in my heart. That is very, very true. The way I live my life is largely determined by the degree of thankfulness in my heart. <clears throat> it has been 394 years ago in 1621 that the pilgrims and Indians gathered at Plymouth, Virginia to give Almighty God, thanks for a bountiful harvest. I don't know, but I hope that that's still being taught in our schools today. It used to be a big deal. You know, we would dress up like pilgrims and uh, all kinds of things, handiwork, coloring and different things that we would do. But the fact that it is in regard to giving thanks to God, perhaps Today, that would not be the case. 242 years later, President Abraham Lincoln, who was embroiled in a bloody civil war at the time, I'm sorry here, John told me this was a little, am I all right, John? Just, uh, maybe I need, <laughs> let me see, maybe if I had a little more slack. I feel like I'm going to hang myself here. <laughs> Okay, let's try again. I'm sorry, folks. <clears throat> when Abraham Lincoln was embroiled in a civil war, he issued a proclamation that the fourth Thursday of every November was to be, and I quote, a national day of thanksgiving and praise to our beneficent Father who dwelleth in the heavens. I have to wonder if there had never been a day set aside for national thanksgiving, could it or would it ever happen today? I'm sure the PC crowd would scream bloody murder. After all, who would ever want to admit that our needs are met by a loving God who cares for us and not by the beneficent federal government? But we do have a Thanksgiving Day, and I would concur with those who would say that it's one of our most pleasing and meaningful of holidays. I like Thanksgiving, don't you? I'm kind of disappointed that it gets shoved to the side a little bit by the onslaught of Christmas, because in its own right, Thanksgiving is a wonderful, wonderful time. It is sad, however, that so many merchants have allowed their greed to interrupt the sanctity of the day by opening for business and pulling countless workers away from their families and their time uh, 
that Thanksgiving brings to us. Thanksgiving should be more to us than just simply a day off work. It should be more to us than just eating mashed potatoes and gravy, playing or watching football or taking a wonderful turkey-induced nap. And they're wonderful too, aren't they? Thanksgiving is an essential concept in Scripture. In fact, we are called to give thanks. We are instructed to be thankful. Psalms 100 and verse 4 says, Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. How did you enter church this morning? Did you come in tired? Did you come in moping? Did you come in complaining? Did you come in griping? Or did we come in with a praise of thanksgiving in our heart and on our lips? I hope that we all felt today, like David said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Psalms 95 and 2 says, let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. I like that, don't you? Church doesn't have to be stoic. Church doesn't have to be all solemn and so much solemnity. The Bible says that we are to come with thanksgiving in our hearts. We are to come and make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. We might ask the question, why should we give thanks? Psalms 107 and verse 1 says, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. How many can say amen to that? Give thanks, for he is good. My friend, that's the only reason that we really need to thank him, because he is good. Let me ask you, has he ever been good to you? Has he ever done anything in your life? From where has he found you? Have there been any changes in your life as a result of meeting him? There used to be an old song when I was a boy that the church used to sing. And it uh, said this, you don't know like I know what he's done for me. Not a person here knows that song, I'll guarantee you. (laughs) You don't know like I know how he set me free. Pick me up, turn me around, set my feet on solid ground. You don't know like I know what he's done for me. You don't know like I know. And boy, you sing that two or three times, and you know that, Kim? All right. That was a, and people, what, what would happen is people would get singing and praising the Lord, and their mind would go back to where they used to be before they found him, what they used to be involved in and where they are now, and they could sing it with a joyful noise you don't know like I know what he's done for me. When we see folks that just worship and give praise with abandon, Sometimes we might think, oh, they're a little, little radical, or they, they really get with it. Well, you know what? We may not know like they know what he's done for them. We may not know where he brought them from, what he's delivered them from, how he's worked in their life and done a wonderful thing for them. You see, my friend, that's really the only reason that we need is that he is good. Then Psalms 100 verse 4 says, For his mercy endureth forever. Aren't you glad for that? His mercy endureth forever. I'm thankful today that he doesn't cut us off 
when we fail or when we falter, but he's still there loving us, concerned and caring for us. How can we keep a spirit of praise and thanksgiving in a topsy-turvy world? Let me say this today, that in 2015, if you want to keep a spirit of praise and thanksgiving in your heart, let me give you some good advice. That is, look up. Look up. Not down. Not around you. Keep your eyes heavenward and focus on him. When I look around horizontally at this world, it's not so good. But when I look up and I look vertically, it's a fabulous view. It puts Thanksgiving in my heart. I'm sorry to say, but right now, as far as our secular society goes, I feel very little Thanksgiving concerning our national state of affairs. I have always thoroughly enjoyed visiting Washington, D.C., been there many times, and and there just was always such a spirit of awe and majesty associated with that city and all of the white marble buildings and everything. But if you go there today, at least in my heart, there's a, there's a sadness. There's a bittersweet feeling of what our country has been, what it has stood for, and what it in recent years has degenerated into. You see, in January, every president gives what is called the State of the Union Address. And they try to make it sound good. They'll say the state of our union is strong. The state of our union is good. Well, I can tell you in four words what the state of our union is in this day. We are in a mess. We're in a mess. Now, I know that preachers have always been able to point out the bad in society. But believe me, folks, we've never been here before. We have never been in the place before that we are now. This is a brand new world. 152 years after Lincoln's Thanksgiving proclamation, it would probably be an unrecognizable place to him. This is not the world I grew up in. In fact, it's not the world that my sons grew up in. It's not the same world that it was 10 years ago, five years ago, even one year ago. And that world that many of us grew up in and we loved and we knew as being America and all that it stood for. Sadly enough, those days are long gone. I don't mean to paint a pessimistic picture, but I do think we need to face reality. And that is that our foundations are crumbling. Father knows best. Little house on the prairie, the Brady Bunch. And all of that is long gone of another era, not to mention Ozzie and Harriet. Our foundation is crumbling. Our God is being mocked. And if you want to look at it in, in certain terms, you could say we are going to hell in a handbasket. When our world as we have known it is hanging by a thread, the last thing in the world that we need is for the church to be asleep, nonchalant, and self-absorbed. I was talking to a very nice lady the other day, Christian lady, 
nice gown. And we were talking about some of the things that, that are taking place. And she said, I, I, just, I just really don't want to hear it. I, I don't want to think about it. I, I don't watch the news. I don't, I don't want to know any of that. I just want to live my life and be happy. We are running ourselves ragged pursuing our right to pursue happiness. And all the while, the church has become com- compliant, self-absorbed, and more concerned about being happy and reaching our fulfillment and reaching our personal destiny than we are the bigger picture and what all is at stake. I think it's time to get the salt out of the salt shakers. I think it's time to kick the bushel off the candle. I hope that we're not so spiritually insensitive that we don't think any of this matters. It's sad to me when I see church folks that should know better, that they don't know which, well, I don't know. Is it really that bad? Or are things really, you know, folks, if you can't see the handwriting on the wall today, you need a spiritual awakening. You, You need something to jar you loose. We cannot find ourselves being taken in by the secular humanistic society. We need all of us to have a personal revival and ask the Lord to embed a biblical worldview within our hearts. The only thing necessary for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. Brian has stated that colleagues of his have told him, oh, Brian, just don't, just don't deal with some issues. Don't talk about such things. People don't like to hear that. They don't. You know what? I, I'm really thankful that, that this is a church that the truth is proclaimed. That a line is drawn. That black is black and white is white. And those things are pointed out. In the book of Daniel, we can find a precedent, an example of what to do in a hostile, secular environment. I'd like to read it today from Daniel 6. Begin reading with verse 4. This is when Daniel found himself in the land of Babylon. Then the presidents and princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom. But they could find none occasion nor fault. What a man, right? For as much as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault found in him. They were trying to find something against him. They could find nothing at all that he had done. Then said these men, we shall not find any occasion against this Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Then the presidents and princes assembled together to the king and said thus unto him, King Darius live forever. All the presidents of the kingdom, the governors and the Princes, the counselors, and the captains have consulted together to establish a royal statue and to make a firm decree that whosoever shall ask a petition of any god or man for 30 days, save of thee, O king, he shall be cast into the den of lions. Wow. You know, for years I always thought people would talk about certain things that could be coming coming our way, the loss of our freedom. No, that, that will never happen. No, we're, we're too ingrained. America is too strong. The church would rise up. We would never stand for that. 
we would never stand to have that freedom, that liberty taken away. I'm not so sure about it today. And now, O king, establish a decree and sign the writing that it be not changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which altereth not. Wherefore, King Darius signed the writing and the decree. So there it was, put in law, that you are not to pray or ask any petition of any god or anyone except the king of Babylon. So how did Daniel handle this? Did he cower? Did he say, oh, okay, it's against the law. Guess, guess I won't do that anymore. You know, guess, guess, I, won't, guess I won't pray anymore. Guess, I, guess I'll change my life. Guess I'll change my lifestyle. No, verse 10 says, now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went to his house, then his windows being opened his chamber towards Jerusalem. He kneeled upon his knees three, knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. He didn't quit one blessed thing he had been doing, regardless of the law. You know, folks, it could come to us the same as it came to the early church, that we might have to make a choice. I would, we must serve God or mammon. We must look to him and not cave in to this world. He just kept living for God. He was not intimidated, even with the potential of sharing a room full of lions. Wow. You know, the, these Bible stories, they, you know, we, we read them. Just think of that being a reality thing. Well, what if we were faced with that? What if we were faced with a fiery furnace? Bow down to the king or that's, that's where you'll be thrown. That's where you'll be spending the night. See those lions? You pray, that's where you're going to go. What resolve, what faith, what strength. And you know what? He ended up in the den of lions. He ended up there. But let me tell you something else. God saw him through. Wow. Den of lions when he'd be usually eaten immediately. They were just like little pussycats. Just, you know, just nothing. Okay, <clears throat> keeping a spirit of praise from the world is topsy-turvy, which it is. But you know, it's one thing for the world to be topsy-turvy, and that's out there, and that's outside my four walls, that's outside my life. But what, what when it hits home? How about a spirit of praise and thanksgiving when it's your world, your life, that is topsy-turvy? Folks, living for God does not insulate us from bad things happening in our life. That's the reason I just can't buy into all of the prosperity type thing, the word of, you know, speak it, name it, claim it, just everything's happy, every day is wonderful. You look through this Bible, and folks, it just isn't like that. If you read the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews, People who had faith, they were sawn asunder. All kinds of bad things through the years, through the eons, have happened to God's people. But it's one thing for stuff to be happening out there. It's another thing when it happens in here, in our house. 
Jesus said, in the world you shall have tribulation. The storm comes to the house on the rock, just the same as the one built on the sand. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. And here's a real test for all of us. Can we praise him in the storm? Can we honor him when it seems as though everything is falling apart? How about when a loved one dies? How about when we hear the word terminal? When the doctor says stage four, when the boss says, sorry, we're going to have to let you go. It's at those times, folks, that we need to dig deep. We need to have a solid foundation. Let me, let me give you some good advice, and that is don't get mad at God. That's an exercise in futility. I am so glad that for whatever reason, and I, I've been through some stuff in my life. It's not always been a path of roses. Um, you know, I've not been immune from trouble and heartache and sorrow and all of those things. But somehow I have never pointed my finger at God and said, God, I blame you. No, it's the enemy that comes to kill and steal and destroy, not God. So whatever happens to us, whatever bad thing comes our way, he is still God. He's still a good God. He still loves us and he will take care of us if we will be faithful unto him. So don't get mad at God. The Lord giveth, the Lord hath taken away. Do you think the great apostle Paul was always on top of the mountain? Not at all. Second Corinthians 11, we read about his labor, his imprisonments. Five times he received 39 stripes. He was beaten with rods. He was stoned. He was shipwrecked three times, a day and a night in the deep, in perils of water, robbers, heathen, wilderness, false brethren, weariness, cold, hunger, thirst, nakedness, care of the churches. He had a pretty long list of bad stuff taking place. But in Romans 8 and 35, we read this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And here's how the apostle felt. With all of the things that he enumerated in 2 Corinthians 11, all of those things, this was the foundation of his life. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Friend, if there's ever any separation between you and God, it's you who have done the separating. It is not that he has left you. It is not that he has forsaken you. In fact, he's promised you, I will go with you all the way. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. He's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. I hope that we can have that same persuasion that Paul had, that regardless what comes, that Lord, I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to keep on loving you. I'm going to keep on having a thankful heart. I'm going to keep on keeping on. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to do the things that I should because you are God and your ways are above my ways. Your thoughts are above 
my thoughts. And I don't understand it now, but I know someday in the great by and by, over yonder, then I'm going to, all things will be made clear. Hallelujah. Sometimes I'm afraid that we're like the, um, with God, like the young man was with his girlfriend. When he was telling her how much he loved her. Honey, I would climb the highest mountain for you. Sweetheart, I would swim the deepest sea to be by your side. By the way, I'll be over tonight if it doesn't rain. (laughs) And that kind of like us, oh Lord, I love you. Lord, I'd never leave you. Peter felt that way one day and turned around and boom, I don't know the guy. You know, I don't know the man. We must always remember. I don't like this newfangled one, John. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I don't know what I'm doing, but anyway. See, I like the old things, you know. We must always remember a favorite scripture probably of many of us, and that is Romans 8, 28, that all things work together for good. To, for good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. How to keep a heart and a spirit of thank, thanksgiving when our world is topsy-turvy. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you in everything give thanks I think it probably means in everything give thanks in everything give thanks in the good times praise his name in the bad times do the same regardless what comes our way we are to be thankful and have a heart full of praise to the Lord Jesus Christ. The actual main theme that I want to share with you today, I'm using the verse from Matthew chapter 18 and 23. I'm not going to take time to, um, to read it today, but you, you know the story very well. Uh, the king that forgave the man who was in debt to him 10,000 talents. It's been said that that was probably $10 million. And when he was brought before the king, well, maybe, maybe I should read it. The kingdom of heaven It's likened unto a certain king which would take account of his servants when he began to reckon. One was brought to him which owed him 10,000 talents. For as much as he had not to pay, the Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had and and payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him saying, Lord have patience with me and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. Can you imagine? What a freedom. You ever see uh, Undercover Boss? 
you know, and and it, it's uh, it, it's moving by times. The CEO, you know, he camouflages himself and he goes works like a regular Dilbert, you know, in some country, some company, and. Um, then at the end, he, he has found out all of the problems that the workers have. And, you know, he's sitting up there usually in his ivory palace and running this big company. And he, he's very unaware of the common labor. And then he gets a taste of their life and he sees the things that they face. And then at the end, he reveals himself to them. He says, I'll tell you what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to give you $50,000 for a new house. Or is a down payment for a new house, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to make you a manager. I'm going to send you on a vacation to some exotic place. And I'm going to send all your kids to college for you. <laughs> wow. I'd like to go to work at a place where that guy would come visit. You know. And so, so we can imagine how this, how this man must have felt when he was Re- released of that debt of $10 million. But then that same guy, he went out and found one of his fellow servants who showed him 100 pence, which was about 20 bucks. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat and said, pay me what you owe me. He had been forgiven $10 million. He goes gets this little guy that owed him $20. And demands payment. Can you imagine that? There's a there's a fellow that hits me up for money every once in a while, and you'd have to know him to appreciate this. But he he gets in a bind, and I'll pay you first of the month, and he usually asks for twenty bucks, and I give him twenty bucks, and um, he usually pays it back. Uh, it's been a long time since he since I've seen him now and um, last time I saw him I had given him 20 bucks and he hadn't paid me back so he didn't come see me anymore (laughs) you know a guy in Columbus anywhere (laughs) that I could talk to about this (laughs) but here we are the Bible calls this the unmerciful servant Unmerciful, yes, certainly. But I really think that it went even farther. It was an unthankfulness, an unthankfulness that he had that he could not extend that same mercy to somebody else. You know, folks, we need to be very, very careful about judging one another. I have heard so many righteous people who have made comments about someone's failures, someone's past, Something they know about somebody in their lives. Say, well, if they're ever going to do anything in the church, I'm out of here. They don't have any right to do anything. Let me tell you how I look at that. Anybody that's in the, in the four walls, anybody that comes to church, anybody that is here or in any place, apparently they have somewhat of a desire, somewhat of a feeling that they want to be right with the Lord and they want to serve him, else they would not be there. And all we really need to do is remember what the Lord has forgiven us for. All we need to do is look back on our lives and see where he brought us from and see how he's changed us 
and offer that same mercy to anyone else that would need it. What was the result of his unthankfulness? Says that his fellow servant fell down on his feet and besought him, have patience with me and I'll pay thee all. And he would not. He went and cast him into prison until he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and ran and told the Lord all that was done. The Lord, after that, he called unto him and said, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me. Should, shouldest not thou also have compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors until he should pay all that was due unto him. You know what, what happened? His blessing was revoked. Because he was unmerciful, because he was unthankful, the blessing that he had received was taken away from him, and he ended up in prison. In closing, let, let me say this, that unthankfulness is a sin. Unthankfulness is, is a sin. The Bible tells us in 2 Timothy verse 3, some things that will be evident in the last times. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Does that sound like any time that you recognize? Does that sound a little bit like the day that we're living in? And with all of those things, all of those bad things that are listed there, that in the last days would be evident, one of them is, is unthankful. Unthankful. The ultimate thanksgiving is thanksgiving how we live our lives. Do our lives reflect a thankful heart? You know, sometimes I get up and when I go out and, and leave, perhaps in the morning, you know, I say, Lord, so many things to thank the Lord for. Thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you, Lord, for my health. Thank you for my family. Thank you. And you could just become overwhelmed thinking of the goodness of the Lord. I remember as my grandfather got older and we would sit down for four meals. My grandfather was a very unique, very revered man. And um, he's still spoken of fondly many, many years after his um, passing. I could hardly go anywhere the days that I was evangelizing and traveling that in almost every church somebody would come to me, I remember your grandpa preached this and your grandpa said this. He made a, he made a tremendous impact on, um, on people. The word that described him mostly was unique. I was telling Tim and Linda the other day about a little bit about him to show you how unique he was Back in, back in the day, you know, ladies would wear these big wide-brimmed hats uh, to church. And this lady came forth for prayer one day for healing. And Grandpa took the oil and, and uh, put his, I don't know where he put his hand, but he, he, he prayed this. He said, Lord, 
If there's a woman under this hat, heal her. (laughs) Very unique indeed. (laughs) But I can remember as we would gather for family times and and he would uh, say the blessing that he would get broken up. And I saw that with my dad too. That um, when we were together and he would pray, he had a hard time holding it together. Now guess who's getting broke up. (laughs) And I don't know what it is. I think a lot of it, folks, is when we are when we are young and we're we're strong, we're in the in the battle of life and all of that, we just kind of go our way. As you get older, you begin to see the tapestry that the Lord has painted. You begin to see his handiwork in your life. You begin to see all of the good things and all the times that he's brought you through. All the times that he has made a way where there seemed to be no way. And there's just an overwhelming spirit of thanksgiving that arises in one's heart. How thankful are we today? It may not be the best one. You may not like it too well, but how about your job? You thankful for that job? Somebody giving you money to go there. How about air you breathe, food that you eat? How about that person next to you? You thankful for them? How about the little kitties in the nursery and in the classes? Thankful for your church? Are you really thankful for your church? Does your checkbook reflect the thankfulness for your church? Your checkbook will reveal a lot about you and what, how thankful you really are. What about your pastor? Are you thankful for him? You know, let's not get, let's not get so casual, folks, and let's not get so transparent and that everybody's just everybody. No, the Bible says that pastors are worthy of double honor. And I'd say a whole lot more about that if it were not my son who was the pastor. But there is an office of the pastorship that needs to be honored and needs to be respected. And there needs to be a spirit of thanksgiving offered for anybody who God has placed in that role how about Jesus how about that cross how about salvation how about the promise of heaven you might say how should we praise him and that's a good question they're all kind of you know it's even called worship wars today different people fussing over different styles of worship and how, how that should be done. I was praying about that some months ago. And, and the Lord just kind of spoke to me and said, you know, whatever kind of worship it is, if it's from a clean and a pure heart full of thanksgiving, it is acceptable unto me. It is acceptable unto me. How shall we praise him? Psalms 91.1, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. 
If we are truly thankful, it will show in the way that we live, in the life that we live. I remember years ago I was preaching a revival in Fairhold, Indiana. And every night there was a couple who would come. And um, they, they were so, so messed up physically. They had so many ailments that were just, just terrible. They, the man was, was practically blind. Big, really, really thick glasses. His hands were all gnarled up. And, and they, were just, uh, they were just a mess physically. But every night they would come to the meetings and I would look out and I would see them and I would see this man. So he would take those nubby, gnarled hands and he would clap them like this. <clears throat> I would see him take his Bible and do this, trying to read it with those bad eyes that he had. And then I thought how many times all of us with perfectly good hands, they stay to our side. Perfectly good eyes, we're looking at everything except the pages of this book. All oh, folks, I, I, just, I just want to impress upon us how much we have to be thankful for today. How good God really is. Things may not be perfect in your life, and you might look at somebody and think that they are, but the one you're looking at, it probably isn't perfect there either. The grass always looks greener on the other side, you know, but it usually isn't. But I'm here to tell you today that we serve a God who is faithful. I'm here to tell you today that he will never fail you. He will never let you down. And he is due all our praise. He is due all of our honor. He is due offering our bodies a living sacrifice holy and acceptable unto God hallelujah let's just bow our heads shall we Lord when we think of your goodness where do we begin to thank you you woke us up this morning you put your life into us you have redeemed us, you have saved us. And Lord, we want to give you our life today. We simply want to say thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for every blessing. And most of all, thank you for saving our soul. Thank you for Calvary. Thank you for your blood that you shed. Thank you for the promise of tomorrow that regardless what happens in this world, Lord, your light is greater than the darkness. And ultimately, Lord, we know you are going to prevail. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Would you stand today?